Welcome back to Ravens Recap. We are here preparing for week four of the NFL season, where the Baltimore football team was getting ready to play the Washington football team at the Landover, Maryland football stadium. And here we ha- <laughs> this week we have a Ravens Recap record. We have five people in the call and two Washington sports fans here. You guys want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Mark. I've, I've been a, a woofed uh, Washington football team uh, fan for since I was born. I uh, grew up in uh, the Silver Spring area in Montgomery County, so a little closer down towards PG and the old Washington football team country. But, um, of course, I grew up a Baltimore Orioles fan since they were the only uh, baseball team around when I was a kid. So I'm one of those rare breeds of... Washington football team fan and Baltimore Orioles fan. So it's been a rough ride. Yeah. And uh, I'm Kevin. I know Mark and Alec pretty well. I also grew up, I grew up in Laurel, Maryland, uh, pretty much my whole life. And I 100% blame my father since he just raised me as a Washington football team fan. Different name for most of the years I was rooting for them. But yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, mostly frustration now that I play fantasy football, it's more exciting because I find myself watching some of the other games more often, so including the Ravens. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you guys on the show to discuss this team. And, uh, you know, it's a team full of new beginnings, right? New name, new coach, new everything. Before we get to all that, we do want to bring up a, a, lost, a lost corner, the COVID corner. <laughs> so it turns out that there's a little bit of a COVID outbreak going on with the Tennessee Titans, and it might impact some games. And the reason we wanted to bring it up is that there's a distinct possibility, if they can't figure out a way to play Monday or Tuesday night, that the Ravens will be the perfect team to fix all the woes. So basically, what would happen is, because the Titans have a bye week seven, and the Steelers have a bye week eight, those two teams would play together on week seven, and then uh, the Ravens would play the Steelers on week eight instead of week seven and move their bye. So... That's uh, that's why we bring it up. It's kind of interesting. It felt like the NFL would have a Sheldon style flow chart for every possible contingency, and like here's your answer for how we'll play the next game and like how we'll handle COVID situations. But right now, it's just been like we're figuring it out. We'll be back. <laughs> it seems like they're not quite sure what they're gonna do. Kind of interesting. If it was me, it'd be like. All right, like here are the conditions, right? Like here are the variables that we still need to know, and here's the outcomes, like you know, like the end of season playoff rankings. <laughs> but it's not how it's being uh, portrayed. Yeah, I do know. I guess the one good news to come out of this is the the Vikings. So far, my understanding is they have zero negative, zero tests. positive. <laughs> they're not all dying. Zero, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, zero positive tests, and they're getting continually tested. So we'll see how that develops. But yeah, you would think they would assume it's gonna come and hit eventually. I mean, it's not a bubble like the NHL or the the NBA did, so it was bound to happen eventually. I just love how you preface that, Alec, with we, the NFL as a tiny COVID outbreak. <laughs> just like it's really small. <laughs> not a big deal. <laughs> Shug it over the rug. You know, no big deal. <laughs> Look, the NFL, there's, there's, there's only some things that are certain. Concussions will happen, COVID will happen, and the games will happen. <laughs> like, they will find a way. The NFL's three laws. You heard it here. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Concussions, COVID, and and conclusions. <laughs> like <laughs> there'll be games. <laughs> and it's all for three reasons: money, money, money. <laughs> all right. So moving on from that, as both you guys were bringing up uh, in the pre-show, Kevin and Mark, it hasn't been since 2008 since the Ravens have won this series. Obviously, Ravens and Washington only play. Every four years, happens to fall on an election year. Washington won the last two, then Baltimore, after Baltimore had won in 2004 and 2008. But I will say, if the Ravens do end up not winning this weekend, 2012, when the Ravens lost, that was the precursor to a Super Bowl. So two out of the last three seasons when that happened, it worked out for the Ravens. Yeah, the one, I've only been to a couple of games, and Washington played the Packers for both the games I went to. Managed to win both those games, and one of those years was also the year that the uh, the Packers won the Super Bowl. So they might win four or five games, but sometimes it's against the eventual Super Bowl champ. <laughs> it's, it's the way it seems to work. 
So despite, I haven't looked at the Vegas odds yet, but despite the fact that the Ravens got dismantled on Monday Night Football, I would imagine that the Ravens are still the favorite going into this game. You guys, I'm also assuming, I might be wrong, but you might not think that the that Washington has a great chance in this game. What are some things that the Ravens should be on the lookout for for Washington might pull out uh, an upset win? Um, I would say the only thing at this point would be if they reschedule the game because of COVID or if all the Ravens players got sick. Uh, I mean, we looked we looked really, really bad the last two weeks against Arizona and against Cleveland. We've suffered some injuries. Dwayne Haskins, which we'll get into later, has looked really poor. So I would be sh- I'd be shocked if they don't cover. I- I'm looking at a – I see 9.5 points some places. We see 12 other places. So if we give that as a baseline, I'd be shocked if they didn't cover that, if the, if the Ravens didn't cover that. Yeah, I would agree with Mark. I mean, it's going to be tough for, for Washington to, to pull this out. Week one, there were some encouraging signs against the Eagles coming back from 17 17- – down uh but then you look at the rest of the eagles games and you're like oh well the eagles actually aren't that good so (laughs) you know it was a good week one win but it has not been great against arizona or cleveland the dream scenario for them maybe winning is uh, i mean the the defensive line just going absolutely ham and somehow like strip sacking lamar multiple times or something yeah like any any recipe for a, a huge upset, they're gonna have to like com- win the turnover battle by I'd say at least plus two, somehow. Whether that be Lamar fumbling or like a kick return for a touchdown for us or something along those lines, and they're gonna have to win the game like twenty one to twenty or something. Like it's gonna have to be low scoring. They're they're, they're not gonna win in a shootout, and they have to like make no mistakes and have Baltimore just completely make a lot of mistakes. I think the chances of those three things happening are not super likely. I also think they're super motivated after the Chiefs loss in primetime. So I think they're going to come out and win even more than they would have if this was just a normal week. Like if if Baltimore played, you know, Cincinnati last week and they won or something like that and they were coming in 3-0, and we'd probably lose by 15, 20 points. But I think they want to prove to everybody that they're still a force to be reckoned with. So I can easily see a situation where they, they may keep their starters in longer than they would normally or whatnot and run the score up, which is – completely fine with me it doesn't matter <laughs> oh not fine with me man injuries dude i i, I can't have that <laughs> that's fair i think dobbins will get a lot of work i think gus edwards will get a lot of work rg3 revenge game i think rg3 is going to be in for at least probably <laughs> 10 minutes yeah he's he'll get a chance to i don't get whatever revenge he can get and honestly at this point he deserves to <laughs> in the fourth quarter it could be kyle allen versus rg3 I'm, I'm calling it now. <laughs> oh, man. I think that's Mark's bold prediction. <laughs> Ooh, that is actually that's a good say, one. I'd say there's like a 5, five 6% chance that that happens, but it's in, it's in the realm of possibilities. That sounds like a bold prediction to me. <laughs> All right. With that, I want to talk about a little bit Ron Rivera, the new coach. So obviously he was not involved in drafting Haskins, and he actually had some choice words for him after the game. He said that, the Washington roster deserves better, and there's a cutoff point with Haskins. So let's talk about the coach for a little bit. So Ron Rivera, as most people know, is going through a, a cancer battle. So one thing going for him is he definitely has the respect of the league, and I would say the, the players who play for him. And I don't remember exactly how many years he's been in the league, but I believe it's over 20. So he is a well-recognized coach in force and people liked the hire a lot. Um, I liked it as well because it was a new culture, Red or Washington immediately cutting guys after uh, some of those allegations came out and things of that nature. And Alec, as you alluded to, actually, you know, calling out some of the players and things of that nature, um, which hasn't always been done before. I think overall it's going to be better from a coaching standpoint in the sense of culture and just having a more respected coach in there but it's still going to be a slow crawl back to, I think, even average performances and records for them. Yeah, I would say on Ron Rivera specifically, I think everything I've seen has been really positive from the from the players and from, I guess, management. Uh, they all seem to like him and respect him. He doesn't seem to put up with a lot of misbehaving or like talking back or anything like that. He definitely fits the new culture vibe, right? So bringing him in and, and trying to sort of start over, I think has been good for them. 
as far as the the local media is concerned, he's been questioned for a lot of his. Um, I wouldn't say clock management because I think he's been actually much better than we've had in the past at actually managing a game. But I think he's just pretty to the point in what he wants to say and do. So like in both games, in the Cleveland game and the Arizona game, we were down like two touchdowns late and he got a lot of criticism because he didn't, he didn't use our timeouts. Like we left two, two or three timeouts, I think on the board in both games. And he basically came out after the game and was just like, there's so many injuries happening around the NFL. Like we were going to lose the game anyway. I didn't want to get players hurt, which I've never really heard that from a coach before. So there was views on, on both sides of that. You know, some people thought he was giving up, which I don't, I personally don't think is what's going on, but some people were like shocked that he would, I guess, come out and say that. But so far he seems to be managing everything well. I know he gets treatment. I think in the, he gets an IV in the middle of the games. They keep, they bring that up like every telecast. So it's been difficult for him. But seems to be loved by the players, and I expect him to, to be around for a while, regardless of their record this year. I mean, they're sort of in a rebuild from a personnel perspective. So, you know, we kind of say this with, with every coach that rolls into Washington, that we just hope they stick around for a while because it means they're having mild success and they're respected, you know, from the fans, from the coaches, from the from management. So, I mean, honestly, the longer we have a coach here, the better. So, and I think Rivera's probably been the best coach I've seen since maybe since Joe Gibbs. I mean, there hasn't been a coach that I think has been like fully enveloped with the team, and I think the whole this whole narrative of like the rebirth with the new name and everything, I think, is good for him. It probably paints him in a more positive light, um, at least to start his tenure here. So, a question I, I just thought of when in my head right now, since you guys are also both Orioles fans, um, do you view this new direction of the team compared to what the Orioles are doing as like something that gives you more or less hope? Than how that's currently going. Yeah, I would say it definitely gives me hope. However, we've been here before with Washington. So like every few years we get this new reoccurring sense of hope, whether it be drafting RG3 or making the playoffs or getting a new coach or Snyder claiming he's going to, you know, not be as involved. So there's been more, we'll call it empty promises or things that we think are going to change, but don't. Whereas with the Orioles, I mean, in my mind, they've they've consistently made progress, especially in the last two years or so, bringing in new management and actually performing on the field and, and, and expanding scouting and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's a little more smoke and mirrors going on in Washington, so I'm not as like fully bought into my full hope and uh, and sort of envelopment in their progression. I think I think the if I if you if I had to place a bet on whether the Orioles were going to be successful or the Washington football team was going to be successful first, I would probably say the Orioles, even though it's a, takes it should take a lot longer to build a, a baseball franchise than a football franchise at this point. Like you would think it would take longer to build all the scouting and player development from the beginning, whereas it's a little it's a little bit different in, in, in football because your your top draft picks are basically guaranteed starters. I mean you can you can turn around college talent into into NFL talent much faster than you can turn around college baseball players into MLB players. So I think I think the Orioles will be better than the Washington football team going forward. But I'd say I'd say the general feel is a decent amount of hope. I mean we had a lot of success for both franchises in the early, you know, the mid like around what, twenty twelve ish in the four or five years in there. Uh, the Washington football team has made the playoffs a few times a couple years in a row and the Orioles went to the playoffs a few few times in a row. So we've kind of been in this lull since like 2016 so like the last four years both teams have been pretty bad i think there's hope to get back there in the next couple of years at least so it's an interesting diversion i actually was thinking it's easier to rebuild a baseball team and that's only because there's a culture of selling the team around the trade deadline in order to accumulate youth uh, for teams that are trying to compete there's a much more of a like oh we got to win now mentality in baseball where you're able to turn assets into future and that doesn't really exist in the NFL. It's much more dependent on draft, where you have to nail your picks. And um, so I was thinking maybe it's easier uh, from the Orioles' perspective. They also have the head start, right? They have a couple of years head start. But honestly, as an Orioles and Ravens fan, I'm very grateful that they're on this track because it seems like uh, I was saying maybe four years it takes for them to be competitive. And after this year, uh, I think that might not be that far off. People thought I was crazy. They said like more like five or six. Um, but it, they're, they're putting it together pretty quickly. The young talent's coming together. It's pretty exciting. That's a good, that's a good point. 
Yeah, I, I guess I was looking at it more from a uh, player development timing perspective. Like I said, it takes a lot longer to turn the number one pick in college baseball, right, the number one draft prospect in the MLB, to get him to be a Mike Trout or something, right? Like to get him to be the best, a really, really all-star caliber MLB player on an everyday basis, even even that turnaround still a few years at least. I'd say two years at a minimum. Whereas in college, I mean, you, you draft, you know, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is your starter like six months later, and he's playing in an NFL game. Now, whether he's a superstar yet, obviously it takes a little bit of time to mature, but he's still on the field producing for your team, whereas your, your number one college baseball pick may not even be on an MLB uh, you know, field for two years. Uh, but yeah, I think there's I think there's definitely positives to to each. Yeah, I'll just add that I think Mark made a Mark made a good point when he basically said at least with the Orioles you can see some sort of progress and progression. Um, the Orioles have been good, and then you know as, as things happen in baseball, it's kind of like okay, you know you're not going to compete with Yankees or the Dodgers or Astros or some of those other teams, so you're you know getting the the draft picks and developing them. Whereas with Washington, it has been kind of like a sine wave; you just go up and down, up and down. Um, the highs aren't that high, but the lows are definitely low and <laughs> it's just not enough consistency. And what Mark said about empty promises is definitely valid. So, and that's something that Washington fans have been dealing with for a long time. I mean, the last time they won a Super Bowl was before we were both born. So, <laughs> so I guess with, uh, the conversation of empty promises, do you feel like Dwayne Haskins is an empty promise? Are you guys giving up hope on this guy? Where you where do you stand with Dwayne Haskins? I I'll say it's still too early to tell, but I mean the signs aren't promising. You saw him against Cleveland, not look great. Ended up with three picks, and the Browns were able to score twenty one points off those picks, so that's huge. It looks like Mark put some stats in here, so I'll let him put I'll let him go over those as well. But there aren't really other great options in Washington, right? You have Alex Smith. Great for him for being able to even come back and do what he's doing now. But realistically, I think it's hard to see him playing another down of professional football. And Kyle Allen is there. I think he's technically a second stringer on the depth chart. But Kyle Allen, I know he was with the Panthers and probably with some other teams, to be honest. I don't know much of his history, but, you know, he's just another guy, kind of a journeyman, probably going around on minimum contract. So I don't know who you would bench Haskins for. I think it'll be interesting to see if he's able to grow, but. He has done some good things going back and looking at some of the plays, but when you when you look at him against Cleveland and see the mistakes he's making and the picks he's throwing aren't even I mean, some of them are just horrendous, like not even close, not tipped passes or anything like that. So it's it's gonna be tough because we don't have any other we don't have enough playmakers on either side of the ball to really overcome something like that. Poor quarterback play. So Yeah, so far, um this season he hasn't looked great. As Kevin alluded to, he had three picks in a Cleveland game, which single-handedly lost us the game. I mean, it wasn't even it wasn't even close. I mean, like I said, they scored three touchdowns off of those three picks, and at least two of those picks were like no doubters. Like it wasn't like a tip ball in the air at the line that got picked. It was like this. He threw it directly to the DB. So there was a lot of tumult in again. The I follow a lot of beat writers on Twitter and listen to the radio and stuff, and there was a lot of tumult about Haskins. And then, of course, the um, Rivera comments came out that Alec alluded to earlier. So it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. Uh, Haskins, one of the big things I haven't liked about Haskins is I just I just don't – he's only 23, by the way. So he's just not mature. He, he kind of reminds me of RG3 in his, uh, in his tweets. So he took to Twitter, like, right after the game and was like, you know, like, all the fans were bashing him, and he basically was like, all right, well, like, summarizing he basically was like when i when i'm good like i don't want y'all to be fans like if you're not gonna be fans of me while i'm bad like don't be fans of me when i'm good and it was like you didn't need to say that like just just be quiet and go on the field and play good football and if you're gonna play that poorly like don't talk on twitter just go get your job done like it doesn't make you look good it doesn't make you look strong it makes you look weak it makes you look soft mentally like that people on twitter are getting to you because you had a bad game and i actually looked back and I heard this on the radio the other day, too. He went to high school, actually, here in Potomac, Maryland. And he, I, for, I don't remember the exact record, but he, he lost, like, one high school football game his entire career. And then he went to Ohio State and lost one football game. So he came into the NFL at, like, 22 years old, losing two games in his whole life. And now he's on the woofed. And, obviously, the offensive line's not that great, and he's struggling. And 
it's going to be interesting to see his maturity or lack thereof overcoming being on a, a team like this. I mean, all the all the good quarterbacks, uh, say most of the good quarterbacks, most of the good quarterbacks get picked by bad teams, right? A Joe Burrow. Now, I would argue Cincinnati is a better team than Washington is right now, but most of the quarterbacks like that get put on bad teams and they work their way up in there. If they're good enough, that talent will show. So I pulled up his career stats real quick because I couldn't even remember how many games he played last year when he came in. And he's played in 12 games in his in his career, and he's started 10 of them. And in those in those 12 games, he's thrown nine or sorry, 11 TDs and 10 interceptions, which is like backup QB status. I mean, that's not that's nothing to you know that's not even close to what I would call a franchise quarterback. And as as Kevin said, I mean, while Alex Smith's story is amazing, and I encourage everybody to watch that documentary, it was really good he's really not going to play football again. I mean, it's a good story. He's on the roster, and that's great. But um, he might be able to come in, in, in into a game if he gets hurt or something, but he's not He's not a, He's not not a a full-season type guy. And Kyle Allen, like Kevin said, is just a guy. He's not really the future of the, of the franchise. So do we want to tank and get, you know, one of the good quarterbacks this year? We're not going to get Lawrence because the New York Jets still exist. So, you know, it's just a question of where do where did they go from here? Um, I tried to think of the quarterback, seeing him in the pocket, what he what he kind of compared to, and I pulled out Big Ben in a sense. He's lost some weight this year, so he looks a little bit more mobile than he did last year, but he still to me looks just lumbering. Like he looks slow. He doesn't look agile, he doesn't move around in the pocket a whole lot. He's pretty strong. I've seen him shake tackles like off of him, not juke people, but like if a guy's hanging off his shoulder pads, he can kind of move and get away from that. But he doesn't have the offensive line Big Ben had in his, you know, glory years. So that kind of, you know, uh, not a super mobile quarterback without with a bad offensive line, it doesn't really mesh, so to speak. So overall, to summarize, I would say he's average at best. He's shown to be average at best. Can he develop? Maybe. If I had to put money on it, I would say no. I, I don't think he's the franchise quarterback, which again... It's just another disappointment and long list of quarterbacks drafted in the, you know, high for the wash for Washington that are not going to, you know, become anything. I don't know if that's a scouting issue. I don't know if that's, I, I don't know where they're falling short, but personally we might as well just let him play the whole year because none of the, none of the backups are going to do us any good at this point. So play him the rest of the year, in my opinion, no matter how bad it is and just see what our record is at the end of the year and then go from there. I find it interesting how you brought up that, Haskins only really lost two games in his playing career before becoming a professional. We were just talking about it last episode, how Lamar is a very similar kind of quarterback where he is so, we're so used to seeing him winning and dominating that we see a different guy when he's losing. And um, it seems like both of them are, are dealing with the maturity of being able to recover from those situations. It just so happens that Lamar came into a team that was much better off than, than Haskins who, like you said, is lacking an offensive line. And we were talking, I think, just last episode, um, you know, in the previous week, that it's so beneficial if you're able to build in a position of we're adding the quarterback at the end, almost, right? Like, a lot of teams are really bad. They get a top position pick or a top draft pick, and they draft the quarterback. But they have nothing around him (laughs) for him to succeed. And it, it may develop bad habits, and they degrade, and it doesn't turn out well. It's almost better to take one of those star quarterbacks into like just somewhat of a nucleus of a team. Like I'd rather have an offensive line and a quarterback than like, oh, we have like some star players, you know, we have a good wide receiver or whatever, but no offensive line, and now we have the quarterback. It's like the offensive line is really important and it's uh it seems like a, a consistent thing amongst bad teams is that they also happen to have a bad offensive line. Right. And just to add on to that, Mark is bringing up if you're uh you know, typically the bad teams get the, the good quarterbacks. And then uh, I'm over here like, well, or we could just be the Ravens and get Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round and, you know, see, see what every other team didn't. But I, w- I will agree, you know, the having a bad O-line um, does not help. And that's why some people are saying, okay, you know, give him, give him a chance. Washington also, I don't have the exact stats and everything in front of me, but you know, they've been spending a lot of their higher draft picks on the defense and specifically the defensive line and things of that nature. Right. Which is why, you know, they're ranked really well last year. And then especially coming into this year with Chase Young as our first round pick, but they're on top of the O-line not being great. 
you know, you also look and we can talk more about this, but it's not like there's a lot of superstars on the offense in general, right? Like playmakers in general. And then obviously it starts with the quarterback, but just in general, you know, us being in fantasy leagues, no one was like, oh, I can't wait to get, you know, the wide receiver too, or, you know, even Antonio Gibson. Okay. Yeah. But like, no one was like, ah, Antonio Gibson, that's my number one or number two pick in the draft, right? So no one's clamoring for these offensive weapons in Washington. So two two real quick points circling back. So we we took six six of our eight draft picks last year were defensive players. So just to reinforce what Kevin just said, right, they're trying to load up on defense, which usually you get a lot of good athletes on your defense, and that's honestly the most teams that became nothing that are now good built their defense first. Right, San Francisco, Baltimore. I mean, they all built defenses, and our defense is slowly getting there. My other point was going to be, I could not believe that we didn't sign Cam Newton because, one, we have Ron Rivera, who just coached Cam Newton in Carolina. Now, maybe he didn't like Cam or he didn't think Cam was going to be any good, but, you know, we threw Haskins into the fire last year. He didn't look good. And so this year, it was like, why not just rent a one-year player, throw him out there behind this, you know, bad offensive line, and just see what he can do. Like, let Haskins develop. And like you said, get another draft under our belt where we can draft offensive linemen and a tight end and other weapons to help Haskins instead of just throwing him to the wolves and saying, well, this is going to be your show. And uh, we'll see what, the, see what the fans and the coaches like you before the end of this year with this poor offensive team, so to speak. And then uh, we're going to write you off. Like, like they, you know, people have done it Rosen and a lot of other quarterbacks have had the same fate where they're just not given the weapons or not. And then, then they lose all their confidence. And when you lose your confidence in yourself, I mean, you can't be a quarterback in this league if you don't have confidence in yourself. I mean, we've seen that time and time again. So yeah, I thought that was interesting in the off season, but I get it. You want to go with your guy. And now all of a sudden we're three weeks in already calling for <laughs> already calling for a potential change. So it's just, it's just, it's just a revolving door at this point. Yeah. Well, maybe to switch gears a little bit to talk about some less depressing stuff. Are there any bright spots <laughs> on this team or, or like areas, position groups that you guys are like, okay, well, if they had a good game, like they could do some damage here. Yeah. So, I mean, I still think the defensive line is uh, very good. Chase Young has a, a groin injury right now, but the good news is it doesn't seem to be too severe. He is currently doubtful for uh, week four against the Ravens. So I don't know if he'll play, but you did see them come alive in the second half against the Eagles. I uh, really pressured Carson Wentz and I think they ended up with eight sacks that game. Um, obviously, we have Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, the two interior linemen, both from Alabama. Unfortunately, Matt Ioannidis uh, tore his bicep, so he will be out for essentially the rest of this year. He, if he has deer antler spray, he'll be back. Yeah, if he gets some deer <laughs> antler spray from Ray Lewis, he could possibly come back. Um, and Ryan Kerrigan is he's getting older, but he is still one of our better defensive linemen for sure. I, I did go back and watch some plays, and I was like, he's definitely missing a couple of plays that he wouldn't necessarily miss. And I will say, uh, obviously, Scary Terry McLaurin, he does look like an emerging, I'll say star, maybe not superstar, but he has one bright point um, on the offense as well as Antonio Gibson. I'll let Mark step in so I don't talk about everybody. But <laughs> No, you nailed it. I mean, it's, it's really just the defensive line, and McLaurin and, and Gibson look like budding superstars. I mean, they, they look like they have a lot of talent on a bad team, which is normal in that case necessarily. But, yeah, they they both look explosive. I mean, if you watch their plays, I mean, like I said, we're both in fantasy a lot. Um, they just look like they're the best ones on the field. I mean, no one could even – no one could cover McLaurin in the, in the couple games that I've watched in, like, over again. And Gibson's had some – again, I mean, Gibson's saying that you can only do so much as a running back with your offensive line the way that it is. But when he gets into space or if he catches it out of the backfield, he's definitely – um, a really, a really good weapon. Yeah, Dontrell Inman caught a couple of touchdowns uh, for the first time in a long time. They made a point to point that out multiple times. And uh, Steven Sims is—he's doing some good things as a slot receiver. I mean, he's not a star by any means, but he did. He's been stepping up a little bit and actually running some some good routes and has some sure hands from what I've seen. Peyton Barber is Peyton Barber. Sometimes he falls in from the one yard line. If not, he's worthless. And uh, J.D. McKissick, I thought, has actually looked better and way more explosive than Barber. That's not saying much, but J.D. McKissick has actually looked decent on some of his runs. So there are some bright spots. It's just not enough to overcome the defenses they're usually playing. <laughs> yeah, I wish McKissick uh, looked like he did this year 
in the times I've seen him last year when I spent all my fab on him in our auction league. But regardless of that, I want to go back to, to Terry McLaurin. <laughs> so he, he's interesting, right? This is, a, this is a good drafting on your end. He was actually the um, 12th wide receiver taken in the 2019 draft. And listen to this. Here's some names that came ahead of him. So you had Hollywood Brown. He's pretty good. That's fine. Nicole Harry. <laughs> ooh, not good. Debo Samuel. That's fine. AJ Brown. Fine. Nicole Hardman. Eh, he's not finding the opportunity. <laughs> Our favorite, JJ Arcega-Whiteside. Not the one. Paris Campbell, who's looked good but keeps getting injured. <laughs> Andy Isabella, who disappeared off the face of the universe, except for last week where he had two touchdowns and, not, and no fancy rosters. I was about to say, unless he was scoring against us, yeah. <laughs> uh, DK Metcalf, he's been doing all right when he's not getting the ball punched out the one-yard line and making me tilt into the oblivion. Uh, Deontay Johnson, he's had a big second year. He's he's really turning it on, so that looks like a good pickup. And then Jalen Hurd of the 49ers, who I'm like, I didn't even realize that was a guy. So good work finding Terry McLaurin in the third round. He's definitely a talent. And last week he would have had a touchdown if uh, – if Haskins didn't miss him. I mean, he was open. He made the separation necessary. Yeah. Um, that guy is good. So, like you said, they're going to find ways to get the ball in his hand because he is their playmaker. Him and, to a lesser extent, Gibson, who it was so funny. Me and, and Mark were texting during that game. Same brain. Le'Veon Bell was our comp. We said at the exact same time. The guy has patience finding the holes. Yeah, and I will say Terry McLaurin is one of the players where when I watch him, he's one of the guys that can take, you know, a five-yard slant route and make it that much more. Another point I'd written in, in the notes in this document just as kind of a general note, Dwayne Haskins, you know, isn't making a lot of great downfield throws. So he'll make some great play action throws and even some great throws on third down. But a lot of them are, you know, five, seven-yard cross, crossing and slant routes. So they're not super impressive throws. And a lot of the bigger plays that you see from Washington um, is yak. It's yards after catch, right? So it's, it's Steve Sims or McLaurin sometimes running across the middle and getting ahead of their defender, getting the ball and able to pick up an extra 20, 25 yards sometimes. And those are the bigger plays you're seeing. It's not really Haskins pushing the ball downfield and making like a great sideline throw or things of that nature. So that was something I definitely noticed as I was, I was, as I was going back and looking uh, through some of the highlights. I think another thing to, to talk about, or at least expand upon, which you guys have already brought up, is the defensive line. I do look at this as something that Washington could exploit, especially on the right side. The Ravens have not had the offensive line perform to the level that we would have hoped so far this season. And was feeling a little more uh, wary about this matchup uh, before week two, and then Kyler Murray had quite a bit of success against the Blitz. What was Murray able to do to avoid the defensive packages you guys were throwing at him? I think mostly, um, I mean, it's good we have a good line. One of my favorite Washington players of all time is London Fletcher, who played linebacker, and our linebacking core is not that great. So I think we tried to put a spy on Murray for some of the game, and I think those were the times we probably limited him to his rushing yards, but I don't think our linebackers are good enough to cover players over the middle of the field and spy on the quarterback at the same time. So I think we got in trouble with that. I know he blitzed a reasonable amount, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Murray Murray completely torched us. I mean, he had eight rushes for 67 yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean, that's better than most starting running backs. So Mark Jackson is only a better runner. So. Correct. He is <laughs> definitely more dynamic, and he can yeah. move better than, than uh, Murray can. Yes, it'll be interesting to see how the, the middle of the defense, how the linebacking core handles that. I don't expect it's going to be very pretty. I would say, as a non-biased opinion, that Arizona probably has more offensive weapons than Baltimore, potentially. I mean, I know they don't have a tight end, but Hopkins really scares me, whereas Hollywood doesn't scare me as much as Hopkins. Um, So I don't know if they were really, really focused on trying to shut Hopkins down, although he had a good game as well. So I don't know if they're going to be able to do sort of a lot more bodies to spying on Jackson, or if they're going to look up the film from the Chiefs game and try to emulate sort of what they did, but... I think either way, he's going to have success. L- Lamar's going to have success on the ground. We'll see if they turn the blitz up more than they did against Arizona. I, I, I think you're playing with fire there because, I mean, if, if he runs quarterback draws or they start doing some quick quick passing to get his confidence back, I think it's going to be pretty quick, quickly going down the field. 
couple things I noticed in the Arizona game as well as the other two. I'll preface this by saying I'm not an expert on a bunch of schemes and everything like that. But what I did notice is that Washington would play a lot of like a soft zone, but what would happen is it would leave people wide open when the front four couldn't get home, right? So whenever the defensive line couldn't actually get home, it was a relatively easy pitch and catch where, you know, people are catching the ball and there's no one within three or four yards of them, whether it be down the field or even just eight yards away from the line of scrimmage. And then I also noticed that when Washington would blitz, a lot of it was man coverage, but if if they don't get home there, or if the QB is able to get the ball away quickly, our back end, our secondary isn't good enough to cover a lot of the elite receiving options anyway. So if you have a quarterback with any sort of confidence, they're still able to make those throws and get those one-on-one matchups when the blitz doesn't get home. Um, granted, there are some times where Bosick will just come screaming up the middle and he's gotten a couple of good sacks that way. But the problem is, is Lamar is, you know, one of the most athletic players in the NFL and he's not going to be scared to, you know, immediately get the ball outside or, you know, use his legs to get to the outside and either just get to the edge quicker than our linebackers can or keep his eyes downfield. So I think that's the part that's it's scary in the sense of like it's you don't necessarily have a great option to make Lamar uncomfortable, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. He's going to probably still feel in his element no matter what Washington is able to do. I was looking at the splits of pass rush that the football team does. And while you guys blitz about 24% of the time, which is around league average, it turns out your blitz and your normal rush from a sack perspective is about the same, which really is a testament to how well your defensive line is built. That front four is really the primary pressure generators. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the whole point. They're able to get home by themselves Right. So, but if they're playing against a better offensive line, which doesn't let them get home or doesn't not necessarily even get home, but get some pressure on, like I said, after two seconds, I mean, two, two and a half, three seconds, that quarterback can find somebody pretty easily somewhere in the zone coverage. And that's what they're playing a lot of the time. And you just have these huge gaps that are opened up. You would expect you would want the sack percentage to be higher if you are blitzing. And I was, as I was looking through the games going back, I couldn't necessarily tell if they if Washington favored blitzing on the sides in the middle it looked like it was a pretty even mix so they don't necessarily favor you know one type of blitz over the other from what I could tell but that is an interesting stat to bring up yeah where it's it's not necessarily that much better even if they are blitzing from what I saw on Monday night's game it seemed like Lamar has a tendency to pull the ball down and run a little more often than you'd probably like do you guys feel like he when he feels pressure do you feel like he scrambles pretty immediately um, I remember watching RG3 when he was back on Washington. and I mean, the minute he felt folks kind of backing up towards him, he would just take off running, and it worked, you know, for a year or so, and it seemed pretty good. But I think I think if he does that in this game, I think he's going to just tear us apart because, like we said, our best players are our front line. If he gets past that, those front line players as far as down the field, I mean, it's anybody's game. He, he can juke, you know, linebackers all day long and – you know, be gaining 10 yards on the ground easy every single time he scrambles. But do you guys feel like he's quick to scramble or do you think he sticks in the pocket pretty long and tries to throw? I mean, I think in general he sticks in the pocket pretty uh, pretty long. I mean, you can look at a lot of highlights from last year of, of him still stepping up in the pocket when it's closing around him. Like there's one good example from the second Browns game last year where uh, he's basically like, a guard is being pushed back into him, and so he has to sort of like do a jump throw, and he completes it to Mark Andrews for a touchdown. And so that was pretty common, I think, for Lamar, is he would prefer to stay in the pocket if possible. He'd also prefer to throw on the run uh, outside of the pocket. Um, it's really when like there are no other options, and he feels like you know he can take the approach to, to just ru- rush for a couple of yards that he will do that. But yeah, the Chiefs game, for sure, that was probably not a good uh, example of that. Of He definitely got flustered pretty early. You could see some of them. I think there was one play where he got, you know, took like a five-step drop or something, and then all of a sudden you see two Chiefs defensive linemen like in his face, and then like two of the Ravens tackles just sort of like looking around, like <laughs> like not knowing what they were doing. It was uh, it got pretty rough that game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also think some of it though is what the defense is giving Lamar, like. Uh, with the Chiefs, yeah, Lamar didn't have a clean pocket for a considerable amount of the night. But also, every time he took off to run, I mean, 
the the Chiefs were giving them that and didn't really seem uh, too concerned that that was going to be what the winning recipe that night. So, yeah, I think definitely last year, his rookie year, yeah, he went to scramble a little more often than not, but he definitely made a, a really big jump going from 2018 to 2019. And so far this year, uh, Monday night excluded, he seems to to be a lot more comfortable in, from the pocket. Yeah, I will say, you know, to kind of maybe wrap up this part of the conversation a little bit, I you know, for me, I think how the Ravens O-line performs uh, against uh, Washington is going to be a huge storyline. I mean, you know, as you guys said, I mean, it's one of the strengths of your team. And so I think, you know, it will be a challenge for the Ravens. They have had some challenging opponents when it comes to uh, D-lines for the first couple of weeks. And, you know, results have kind of been varied. I mean, Lamar, just being the talent that he is, is able to get, you know, make things out of bad situations and sometimes. But, you know, we've we've talked about the last couple episodes where the O-line just hasn't performed at the same standard as it has last year for a couple of different reasons. And so this, to me, I think would be a, you know, it would be a really great opportunity for the Ravens to bounce back. And I think the biggest thing that I'm looking for is how the O-line bounces back from Monday night. Yeah, I am curious to know if there's anything if there are any uh, specific offensive schemes or players or strategies that you guys are like looking to use against Washington, or if it's one of those things where, you know, it might very well be, you know, we are better than this team. And as long as we can deal with the front four, you know, the Ravens aren't very concerned with, okay, how do we beat them? It's going to be like, well, we can beat them multiple different ways, right? As long as we're not taking a bunch of sacks and having Lamar feel uncomfortable. So any thoughts on, offensive strategies for you guys i think number one is going to be what we talked about on the the chiefs recap episode which is you know get back to committing to the running game the ravens had success against kansas city in that department um you got three starting caliber running backs on the team and your quarterback is also a starting caliber running back so ravens need to just go back to that's you do that better than any team in the league so whether or not you can beat Washington by pounding the rock or by airing it out. I think they need to to establish that first. And then we also talked about how this offense still, we were talking about it a lot last year, but still flows mainly through Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews in the passing game. But you got other guys there like Miles Boykin and Devin Duvernay, these young guys who appeared from our perspective to show like they could be probably not as good in the regard as those two players, but still fairly effective options when Lamar goes back to pass. I would like to see those guys get a a little more targets than they did in the first couple weeks of the season. And I think that, especially in a game where the Ravens feel like they have a, a bigger cushion to work with, I think you'll see some more targets for those guys. Yeah, I will say Washington did a decent job holding the Browns rushing attack uh, last week in the first half, but you could see in the second half, I mean, they were just worn down and Cleveland was still sticking with some of the running plays and you had Kareem Hunt and um, Nick Chubb breaking off pretty sizable chunk runs in the, the entire second half of that game. So I would think, you know, sticking with that running strategy would probably only benefit the Ravens. And then especially because like you said, they do have three starting caliber running backs on the team. For me, I really want to see a bounce back game for Patrick Queen. I'm curious if he'll get a sack on Haskins or you make a big play against uh, Gibson or Logan Thomas. No one's talking about Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas, uh, fancy's (laughs) fancy's darling, right? The guy gets targets. He just has Dwayne Haskins throwing the ball, so they're not great targets. But he's getting peppered the ball. He's making separation. And if you look at it from just a pure like statistics. I mean, yes, we ran into Kelsey, so it doesn't help. But uh, <laughs> the Ravens are a team that target at the tight end position yet again this year. So uh, everyone's saying, like, Logan Thomas is your streaming pick. Uh, or if you're me, I, I'm rostering him because I'm just like, maybe he'll be the breakout. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I think I want to see Queen perform. And I think there's some good challenges with him uh, for him with Logan Thomas and Antonio Gibson. On that note, do we want to move to uh, score predictions and bold predictions? All right. I would say uh, my score prediction is 35-10 Baltimore. One of my bold predictions, as I said earlier, 
super bold, but I'm going to say you'll see in the fourth quarter you're going to see RG3 versus Kyle Allen because I think I think Hassans could get really destroyed, and I think Baltimore's going to be up by so much that they might decide to put RG3 in, and I think RG3 is probably going to be on the sideline clamoring for him to get in and play against his former team. So that's probably super bold. Maybe not as bold. I Our special teams has not been great this year, so I'll say Baltimore has a punt return or, or a kick return for a touchdown. Duvernay looked great on Monday Night Football, so that might not be too much of a stretch, but it wouldn't surprise me if you guys ran one back. Yeah, no one, no one loves giving up kick returns like Washington. That's probably biased because I've just seen them do it so many times, but my goodness, sometimes it's just embarrassing. <laughs> okay, my score prediction is actually pretty similar. I realize as I look at like my bold prediction, they kind of contradict. But anyway, my score prediction was actually 33-13. I just kind of see the Ravens being able to move the ball fairly easily in this one and you know Washington maybe getting a lucky drive here or there and maybe getting a short field here or there. I looked up some of Lamar Jackson's stats for my bold prediction. So my bold prediction was that I didn't realize he's actually gotten sacked two, four, and four times respectively the last three games. But my bold prediction was that was going to be that Washington gets four sacks uh, and also picks off Lamar for the first time and forces a fumble. Very bold. <laughs> um, we'll see. I don't know. It's going to be tough. Um, if they're able to do that, maybe the score is closer. I still don't even think that would be enough to really – turn the tide in Washington's favor enough, but it would be nice to see them play against uh, the defense to play well against a dynamic QB like Lamar Jackson. They didn't really do too much to disrupt um, Kyler Murray. So we'll see if they're able to learn from that. Yeah. uh, I guess I'll go next because at least for score prediction, there are common, it's a common theme that, you know, our score predictions will interlap. And I was going to say 35 to 10, to make it a little different, I'll, I'll give Washington another field goal, 35-13. to 13. I will say, going into the season, if you guys listened to the season preview, I did say that I thought this had potential to be a trap game and did mark this down as a loss when we went through each of the games for our season prediction. That being said, the Washington defense has been worse than I expected, and I also anticipated the Ravens actually beating Kansas City, so there was a potential for uh, this game to be a a letdown because Ravens are still celebrating that win. So in light of recent events, I'm going to say that the Ravens will win this game. And my bold prediction, maybe because I'm still salty from the fact that the Ravens didn't run the ball enough last week, is that all three of the top running backs on the depth chart will get a touchdown on Sunday. One for Ingram... Gus Bus and Dobbins. Ooh, man. I like that. I like that a lot. John Might get Harbaugh, him in the first half. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot of like 30 to 15, 10, 13 scores here. So I'm going to be a little uh, a little different from the pack here. I'm going to say the Ravens just like blow out Washington here. And I'm going to go like... <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to give us a little more respect. If you're like, no, nope, absolutely I was thinking, not. I, I was thinking, 99 I was th- to zero, Madden. <laughs> when you play your little brother, <laughs> Kevin. Kevin, I got to be honest. I was thinking that, but then I thought I'm just going to be different. So, so because no, honestly, it looks like Washington actually they've put up a decent amount of points for the first couple of weeks, right? I mean, you're talking. Let's see. They put up. 27, uh, 15, and and 20. 27, 15, and 20. So I was thinking, eh, maybe it could be there. 13 might be a little bit low. I, you know, they have the potential to do it there. But the Ravens are pissed off, man. They're pissed off from losing <laughs> to the Chiefs. So I'm going to say, yeah. like, 42 to 9. That's 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 my score prediction. So, but I could, you know, realistically, I could, I could probably see it closer to any one of the scores that you guys have outlined. So I'll say 42 to 9. My bold prediction, I'm going to have to come up with two because Mark stole mine. After Duvernay got his t- kickoff return for a touchdown, I really mm. want Prochet to get one on a punt return. But since he took that, my other prediction is going to be that the Ravens are going to pick off a Haskins three times. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, put me back there. I might pick him off. Not times. too bold. <laughs> <laughs> Cleveland picked him off three times. So I'll, I'll do my score prediction first because I'm a little annoyed. I did have that one figured out. Five score prediction. I'm going to stick with it because it's, it is different, but very similar to the ideas you have. Uh, it was 42 to 13 Ravens. Uh, if you sum that together, it's 55 points. And I did that for the boys. Uh, 
um, as far as far as my bold predictions go, um, let let's go with this. Last episode we talked about the Ravens need to spread the ball out more, and in previous episodes we talked about they're really good at that. My prediction is this: Boykin and Devin Duvernay have more touches than Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews. Oh my gosh! I was like, is he going to say Mark Andrews? And he did. <laughs> Man. Lately, I've been going too bold. This is probably a continuation of that trend. You said, you said, you said touches, right? Not targets. I, I very intentionally, thank you for noticing, said touches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm including handoffs. I'm, in t- I'm saying ball, like <laughs> plays where they touch the ball, <laughs> not snaps, but that. Yeah. Mark Andrews kept touching the ball last week, but not catching it. I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Man. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be pissed off. I got the head-to-head by 0.2 points going in with only a four-point lead into Monday night. That shouldn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. I actually, I thought I lost the league, and I didn't even check it because the guy had Lamar Jackson, and I won by, like, 1.2. And I was like, oh. It was like a weird league where there's, like, bonuses and stuff like that, but I didn't think I had a chance. And then I woke up, and I was like, oh, I'm 2-1. and Nice. (laughs) I'm 2-1 and unless you count in the, the fake standings. (laughs) <laughs> the fake news standings <laughs> i like those ones because they tell me i'm six and oh for the listeners on the pod we're uh peter's referring to the the new league rules in our auction draft where alec is the commish <laughs> yeah beautiful so, yeah you get your head-to-head win and then you get an additional win if you're in the top six scoring bottom six gets a loss and i've been Two points out of top six, two weeks in a row. I think it. I think it works great. Yeah, I mean, we've all been there with bad beats. We've all <laughs> been there with bad beats, and you know, this is a way to theoretically iron it out. But it can go the other way as well. Where, yeah, if you're just missing the top. If yeah. Tommy was in this conversation, he's been <laughs> dancing in the streets because he had back to back one two finishes where he was the two, uh, yep. as far as points go. So same it, here. Yeah, it's one of those things where overall it should help. I am number one in points, but I'm in seventh place. Number yeah, one in points well. for. I'm also number one in points against by a lot. In three weeks, I have 115 more points against than Kevin does. Just cut Just, all this out. Cut all this out. <laughs> no, I will not cut it out. Kevin, your team is not that great. I got lucky. <laughs> and I'm glad that Greg is uh, in that It's one not that bad, though. It's not that bad either. And that's really my not motto. Not that bad. <laughs> All right, with that, guys, thanks so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun doing this episode with you all, learning a little bit more about the Washington football team and their uh, recovery, so to speak, and their rebuilding. We hope that uh, you guys enjoyed it. Give us a thumbs up on your podcast app and follow us on Twitter, Ravens underscore recap. Feel free to email us, feedback at ravensrecap.com. We have a lot more guests coming onto the show for our analysis of the upcoming game. But if you have any guys in mind, let us know. We'd love to have them on the show. We'll see you next week after what we hope. Uh, I think everyone here, Ravens win. <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean we don't, we don't need them to. Uh, we don't need them to win this game. So <laughs> you guys need a better draft pick. Thank you for the. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for your charity. We'll take the win, <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week.